take a copy of God's Word and turn if, with me, if you will, to the book of Daniel. I've been studying this book for several weeks now, and we're looking at chapter 7 today. Chapter 7 in the book of Daniel. As we've done throughout this series, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's a longer portion of Scripture, but God speaks to us through His Word, and He calls us to give attention to it, and so uh, we will come and look at that whole chapter and I'll read with us. I told my wife I needed my uh, reading glasses as I was looking at this. And so I think I can get it now. These words get smaller and smaller as I get older and older. We do come this morning to a pivotal chapter, um, not only in the book of Daniel, which we've been studying, but indeed a, a pivotal and very significant chapter in the whole of the Bible. It's a chapter that gives us a, a glimpse behind the scenes, if you will, of the vast scope of human history. And in some ways, it's a summary of the theme of the whole book itself that we've been seeing, that God is sovereign over all things. That He sets up and He, he brings down earthly kings and kingdoms. And He is faithful to deliver His people and to establish the dominion of His kingdom forever. And the book of Daniel is divided into two halves. The first half is chapter 1 through 6, which we've been through, is a narrative account of, of the life of Daniel and his friends living in exile in the kingdom of Babylon and serving as, as God's ambassadors of sorts in the administrations under the kings of, of Babylon and eventually Persia. And Daniel chapter 7 actually takes place chronologically before chapters 5 and 6 during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign that we saw back in chapter 5. But it's placed here as it serves again as a turning point of sorts between the first and the second parts of the book. The second half, beginning with this chapter, is, is apocalyptic in nature. Focusing on several visions that are given now to Daniel himself. In which the Lord is in, again, uh, in a sense again pulling back the, the curtain on all of history to, to reveal what he is really what is really going on behind the scenes on a much grander scale and to show how things will turn out in the end. And while the first half of Daniel gives us familiar accounts of God's sovereign rule and powerful deliverance from fiery furnaces and, and the lion's dens, the second half is filled with, with frightful and, and awesome accounts of mysterious beasts in heavenly courts that has caused many a debate among scholars as to their meaning. But as with other apocalyptic writing, we find in places like Ezekiel and Daniel, the purpose is to, is to give us a very vivid and highly sensorial, sensory and, and symbolic vision of the bigger picture of God's plans and purposes in history. It's to see things, if you will, from a heavenly perspective. And to reveal or unveil, which is what apocalyptic means, in some sense, the end of the story. For the purpose of providing hope and encouragement to God's people living in the midst of difficult trials and suffering. And it's a reminder once again that God is on the throne of all of history. And will judge all evil, will triumph over all kingdoms, and ultimately will deliver His people and restore His kingdom for eternity. And so as we read chapter 7, Daniel is given a, a very vivid portrayal of that reality in a dream that takes him to the very throne room of God, where he sees one like a son of man to whom God's kingdom is delivered. And so let's 
read from Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then I looked, its wing, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped whatever was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from him from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze. 
and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. May the Lord add His blessing and illumination to the reading and hearing and the teaching of His holy word. Let's pray together. Father, these are great and marvelous things which you have revealed in your word. We ask now, Father, that you would come, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to see reflected in this your glory your majesty, your king sitting on the throne, the Son of Man, our Savior Jesus. And that, Father, in that, we who are yours would have great hope. And those who are not yours yet would be drawn to you and to know you and to trust you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, it's important as we come to these chapters, this chapter and the chapters ahead, that we don't miss the forest for the trees, so to speak. That we don't get so caught up in trying to figure out all the little details of what means what and who is who and try to, try to read too much into the, the visions that Daniel is given here. But that we focus on the big picture, that we look at the, the overall meaning that God intended for those who were receiving this from Daniel and those of us who are receiving it even now. And so this morning I want to point to, to the three main things that God reveals to Daniel and to us in this great chapter that were meant, again, again ultimately to comfort and, and, and encourage and bring hope to the exiles of Daniel's day and for believers down through the ages, even to our day. And what we're going to look at this morning through this is the tyranny of man's kingdoms, the throne of God's judgment, and the triumph of God's people. Those things that Daniel sees in this vision. The tyranny of man's kingdoms, the throne of God's judgment, 
and the triumph of God's people. First, the tyranny of man's kingdoms. In the first year of King Belshazzar, Daniel is given this dream. And, and if you remember, those of us who have been here, it's, a par- it's parallel in many ways. It kind of reflects similarly the, the dream of the large statue that were given to Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 2 with a focus on the, on the sovereignty and the triumph of God's kingdom over man. But here, the focus is more on the increasing tyranny and rebellion of world powers. And the dream is quite frightening in its effects. It begins with this stormy, chaotic scene in which Daniel sees the great sea being whipped up in a fury by the four winds of heaven. In Scripture, the the sea is often a a symbol of, of chaos and the rebellious nature of man and of the nations against the Lord. And so out of this, out of this stormy sea, four different beasts rise up, each more powerful, each more frightening in some ways than the previous one. And Daniel describes them in verses four through seven. One is like a lion with eagle's wings. One is is like a bear hunched up on one side and and having three uh, rib bones hanging out of its mouth. One is like a leopard also with with wings, a a picture of speed and, and, and swiftness, but with four heads as well. And the fourth beast is terrifying beyond description. Not like any, any creature known, but with iron teeth and ten horns, trampling everything in its pathway. Scripture brings this to our, our ear to open our mind's eye to see something, much like we might see in a, in a, in a movie film today. And here to see these, these scenes with, with, a, with a vividness and a, and a sense of just what is happening behind the scenes. And you can see why Daniel is frightened. These are not ordinary creatures. <laughs> but distorted things that you might find in nightmares or horror films. And what, what do they mean? Well, Daniel is told later on by an angelic interpreter who is there in the vision that the beast represent four kings who would rise up on the earth. And in this way, it is similar to Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue that, that was, was, had the four, was made of the four different metals down from the head to the toe. And there uh, represented four kingdoms only from a different perspective. Nebuchadnezzar was seeing things in a way from an earthly perspective. The focus was on the, on the splendor, on the, on the glory and the power of the various kingdoms. And Daniel here is seeing things from a heavenly perspective. The curtain is being drawn back from the heavens. And the, and the focus here is on the, on the pride, on the hunger for power and dominion and the increasing cruelty and depravity of that power. Again, as we saw with Nebuchadnezzar himself, such pride, such self-exaltation leads to to a a more bestial type behavior. And here we see these four kingdoms represented in these four beasts. A picture of the depravity of mankind and the abuse of power at its worst. And again, the the temptation here is to to try and figure out exactly what what these kingdoms are and to relegate this to a particular time in history and and try to pin down who these kings are, what kings are being portrayed here. And and like most prophecy, there are elements here of a closer, partial fulfillment of this in the unfolding history for God's people to whom the book was written. 
And there is a lot of debate, but most scholars see the four kingdoms represented here as they were back in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, as those of Babylon in the lion, the the, uh, kingdom of the Medes and the Persians in the bear, Greece and the leopard, and Rome, that beast with iron teeth. And we're going to look some more at, at some of those details as we go through future chapters. But certainly the implication and the application of what is pictured here extends beyond just those nations and empires. You don't have to look much past the events of the past century and even in our own times to recognize the often tyrannical nature of man's thirst for dominion and the abuse of power. The Nebuchadnezzars and the Dariuses and the Alexander the Greats and the Caesars of the world give way to the rule of other tyrannical kings and presidents through history right down to our own day where we continue often to see persecution on a large scale. Wars, self-exaltation of leaders and battles for political power, violence and terrorism. Economic exploitation, human trafficking, crimes against the most vulnerable, and a distortion of truth that leads to increasingly beast-like thinking and behavior on a large scale. What we're seeing here is simply a a, a reality and an explanation of of the incredible atrocities and the oppressive injustices that, that were witnessed not only in the developing kingdoms leading up to the coming of Christ, but continue to be seen throughout history, and even in history being made in our own day. And even if the desire for dominion is not always through military might or physical force, it's often seen in other ways, in in cultural, the pursuit of cultural dominance or economic superiority or technological supremacy. The pride of man's heart is multiplied on a grand scale in the pride of nations that are built upon the creed that we heard from Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 4 about his own kingdom Babylon, by my might and and for my glory are these things here. The tyranny of nations is driven by the desire of man that led to that first sin in the garden. The desire to be like God. A desire for power. A desire for greatness. A desire for glory. All that originally rested on man in the garden as created in the image of God. But then became, but then pursued apart from God's sovereign rule and for His glory. Led to man becoming more like the beasts. And Daniel's vision is a glimpse behind the veil of the outward glory and grandeur of the nations to see the depravity and tyranny that often exists. It's a glimpse behind the reality of Psalm 2, where the Lord says, the nations rage and kings plot in vain, rebelling against the Lord and His anointed. And it also explains much of what we see at work in the world today. And so kids, that that first point in the children's bulletin says, what does Daniel's vision teach us about life in this world? And the answer to to that is that There are bad forces at work. And we should not be surprised at much of the evil that we see happening in our world. And even in our own hearts. Our sin and pride lead people, sin and pride lead people to act more like monsters than like men created in God's image. 
But even such tyranny is not outside of God's sovereign rule. God is not against human government. Indeed, He establishes it for His good purposes. And He calls us to submit to its authority as one, one that He's ordained for those purposes. And even in Daniel's dream, we see that these beasts do not operate independently under their own authority. The lion has its wings plucked and is lifted up and made to stand like a man and given the mind of a man, reminiscent of the, of the humbling and the restoration of Nebuchadnezzar's reason in his own kingdom. The bear is given instructions to devour much. The leopard is given dominion. There is a greater power, there is a higher authority at work in and over the kingdoms of man. And it is that authority which Daniel sees next in his vision. Over the tyranny of man's kingdoms appears the throne of God's judgment. Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. It's an amazing Account. Daniel is given an audience of sorts here into the highest court in the universe. Thrones. Notice thrones are set up. Not on earth, but in heaven. And this vision of God, the ancient of days, stands in stark contrast to that of the, the four beasts. God is seen here as the eternal, the, the pure, the holy, the righteous judge. Not stirred up by chaos and roaming about on the prowl, but seated on His throne, attended by myriads of worshipful servants, completely and utterly calm and in control. He is the Ancient of Days, not rising up at some point in history, but having existed from, from all eternity. His hair and His clothing are, are pure white Radiant with the, the eternal wisdom and the spotless purity, the utter holiness which belongs to Him and to Him alone. His throne is engulfed with, with flames of fire, the, the consuming, purifying fires of His righteous judgment with which he, he rides throughout all the earth. It's an amazing, awe-filled, awesome, overwhelming picture of the God of heaven. Sovereign, holy, righteous, the one who rules over all and who sits in judgment over all. Which is what Daniel sees as he says the court sits in judgment and the books are opened. If you've ever attended a trial, you know as the judge comes and sits down on the, at the bench and is given a, a, someone comes and gives him a, a folder, a, a book of sorts. And he opens that, and the first thing he does is he reads the charges against the defendant. And here, the Lord of heaven, sitting, sitting on the throne of judgment, opens the books that contain the charges against the, not only the tyranny of these kingdoms, but indeed the rebellion of mankind's sin against the Lord. And Daniel sees that judgment exercised on the great beast, even as it is speaking its blasphemies. It is killed and thrown into the fire, and the dominion of the others is removed. Again, here's a picture of the Lord's sovereign power and His sure judgment to come 
upon the kingdoms of man. And this picture is, is given again in a very similar fashion to the Apostle John in, in the book of Revelation, where we see much of, uh, of this reflected again as God is speaking again through, through John to His people who will live in, in exile in the kingdoms of this world and were suffering persecution at that time. And there in chapter 13, He sees beasts of similar description rising from the sea and eventually being judged by the Lamb that we read about earlier who sits on the throne and is worthy to open the scrolls. The message is the same. Our God reigns. And He stands in judgment over all men and over all nations. And though the nations would rage and though the kingdoms would rise against Him, they will not stand ultimately in opposition to Him. But will in the end face the fiery judgment of His wrath for sin. But note there's not just one throne, but thrones. And Daniel sees in his vision another figure. One like a son of man, which, which simply is to say, one who is a human being. <laughs> Unlike the beasts who rise from the seas, this, this human figure does not come from the earth, but he comes riding on the clouds of heaven. A picture that speaks of, divine, of a divine nature. Like God would come and appear to His people in the cloud. And He is presented before the Ancient of Days. And He is able to stand before His throne in righteousness. Not to receive judgment, but to receive dominion and glory and a kingdom. And that all peoples and all nations should serve Him. The significance of this part of the vision is startling. Here we see as, as clear a picture as anywhere else in the Old Testament, the appearance of two distinct persons who share the authority and dominion and glory and worship that is due the sovereign God alone. We see the Ancient of Days seated on His throne in absolute authority and judgment over the kingdoms of all the earth. But then we see this one like a son of man coming before the throne, being given all dominion and, and authority and judgment and glory and receiving the kingdom of God for eternity. It's almost like a, a coronation ceremony of sorts where the heir apparent is ushered in and brought before the, the sovereign who then hands over the mace of authority, transfers the crown and, and presents the people with their new king. Only in this case, it's not God's power being given up and transferred to someone new. God is not relinquishing His authority. He is rather simply showing that it rests in the hands of this one like a son of man who will receive it in full at some point in time. In other words, Daniel is given a vision here of the king of kings who is both human and divine. This is the Lord's anointed to whom he spoke in Psalm 2 saying, You are my son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession." As unusual and unexpected as this vision would have been for Daniel, it answers the question of how God's eternal kingdom can be established over the earth forever and ever. Human kings and kingdoms 
do not endure. There is no human king or kingdom that can stand before the holy and righteous judgment of the Lord. But Daniel sees that there is one like a son of man, but who is no more than just a mere man. He is also divine, coming upon the clouds, standing in righteousness before God, given all authority and dominion of God, Here is the the rock of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, not cut from human hands, but who comes and defeats all other worldly powers and whose reign grows to fill the whole earth with his, his rule and reign forever. And of course, though Daniel could not have known it at the time, we know that of all the titles given to, to Jesus when he came to this earth, All the titles of of Messiah or the Christ or the Son of the living God. This one, the Son of Man, is the one that Jesus used almost exclusively for Himself. He came proclaiming that in Him the kingdom of God was at hand. And we're going to take some time in the season leading up to Christmas to look more at, at this designation of Jesus as the Son of Man. But here, Daniel sees very clearly that the Lord God sits in judgment over all the nations and His dominion, His authority and power and glory are manifest in this divine King who will rule over the nations for eternity. Which leads to the last thing we see here in this vision and that is the triumph of God's people. Daniel confesses his anxiety, his alarm at the visions that he has seen, understandably. Obviously, he is concerned at what this means, particularly for the promises of God in in returning his people from exile in Babylon, promises that were right on the verge of being fulfilled, and for the future of the people of God to whom he has promised his kingdom. Obviously, such continued tyranny and trial against God's people means continued suffering for them, and indeed, that is true. Later on, we see Daniel is particularly interested in the fourth beast with its iron teeth and many horns, which he saw making war against the saints. And indeed, the angelic interpreter says, such will be the case. Daniel is is contemplating in his mind the end of the exile, the return of God's people, the hope of a new kingdom and, and, and peace. And this news of continued trials disheartens him. And indeed, those continued trials can dishearten God's people even today. But we know from Jesus Himself that the triumph of God's kingdom is preceded by the trials of God's people. At the heart and the hope of the hope and the desire of God's people was always being delivered from the trials and troubles of this world. But but here, the promise given to Daniel and the promise that is still ours in Christ is that in this world, we will have trouble. We still live as exiles in the kingdoms of man in this broken and fallen world, but here the message is also that of Jesus to His disciples. Take heart. I, the King of kings, the Son of man, have overcome the world. 
And for a time, God's people are still subject to the tyranny and sinful nature of the world and its ways. And this is true even in our day. The continued persecution of the church that is seen in various forms in various places. There is still a battle being waged against the spiritual forces of evil and the powers of this dark world that Paul spoke of in Ephesians 6 that, that we as believers are engaged in and at times may appear to be losing. This vision given to, to Daniel would help explain to the Jews who would return to Jerusalem why they would still be an oppressed people under foreign rule. It would help explain to the countless believers down through the ages who have stood before kings to defend their faith or found themselves at odds with the forces and powers in charge why their lives are threatened and why there is this suffering. It helps us today to see that, that no matter what party is in power or what policies are put in effect, the rule of man will never, never deliver us from the tyranny of, of pride and the beastly nature of sin that reigns in the heart of men apart from God. And thus it also serves as a warning to us to examine our own heart where these beastly impulses can quickly find their grip on us, where our own selfish desires can quickly lead us to align ourselves with the powers and the plans of, of the kingdoms of this world and forget who truly sits on the throne of heaven. Instead, when our hearts and our hope rest in the sovereign rule and the reign of God, then the promise given to Daniel in this vision and to us through the fulfillment of this vision in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever and ever. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Daniel's told in verse 27. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus' triumph is our triumph. Unlike the kings of this world, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom, a payment to buy us back from the bondage to our sin. Jesus, the divine Son of God, entered into the kingdoms of this world, took on the nature of of man as one of us. He faced the onslaught of man's tyranny and sin and he, he faced the great beast, the enemy of our souls in Satan, who on the cross appeared to have won the day. But there, Jesus bore the wrath of God's judgment for sin. Not, not for Himself, but on behalf of sinners. To rescue us from the tyranny of sin and the powers of this world. And to bring us into His kingdom as fellow heirs. Where we are seated with Him in the heavenlies. And where we will rule and reign with Him in eternity. Through His death and resurrection and ascension to the throne. Those who are in Christ have died with Him. And have been raised with Him. And are now seated with Him as citizens in the heavenly kingdom where all things are subject, in subjection to Him. When Jesus was asked, as He was 
standing before the judgment seat of men in the final days of his life when he was asked whether he was the Christ, the Messiah. He said, I am. And then he said, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Right from Daniel. The triumph of the Son of Man over the kingdoms of this world in Daniel's vision is the triumph of Jesus Christ on the cross over the powers of sin and death that are manifested in those earthly powers. And His triumph is the triumph of His people. We the church, the saints of the Most High, from whom no one can snatch us from His hand and nothing can separate us from His love. So what are we to take away from this great vision of Daniel's? First, don't be surprised at the tyranny of man's kingdoms. The beasts of Daniel's vision are still alive and well around us. Some have faces of persecuting and oppressive rulers or groups. Some are enshrined in political, economic, or cultural systems that take advantage of power and oppression. Some are simply symptomatic results of sin in a fallen world in which we live. But behind all the glory and the grandeur of wealth and, and modern advancement and the, the greatness of the kingdoms of man, behind all the propaganda of politicians and pundits, there lies a beast of pride and self-centeredness and ambition that rebels against the sovereign authority and truth of God. And as God's people, we are strangers. We are exiles and aliens in this world. And we will face the trials and the struggles and the troubles that this world brings just like others in it. And in some cases more because of our faith. But take heart. God is on His throne. Jesus has overcome the world and He is even now ruling and reigning and will deliver us through the trials into the triumph of His kingdom. And lastly, it's easy to look at this and to think... All the beasts are out there. <laughs> but there is in each one of us a prideful, rebellious, self-loving, dominion-seeking, sinful nature that still wages war and still wants, us, wants to establish our own little kingdom. We want control. We want to exercise our rights. We want to get ahead at the expense of others. We want to establish our, our identity and make our significance in the images of the created things of this world rather than in the image of God as our creator. And God will not brook any competition for His glory and His sovereignty. We will one day all stand before the judgment seat of the Ancient of Days. And Jesus calls us not to stand in our own merit, the merit of our own righteousness, nor under the condemnation for our own sin, but to stand in His righteousness given to us and under the freedom and the forgiveness that He purchased for us on the cross. And we do that by faith, by believing in Him, by trusting His truth and by walking according to His commands. And only then, only then, can we truly know with assurance 
the comfort and the encouragement and the hope that indeed one day we will reign with him.